Hi, thanks for listening. In 20 seconds or less, I wanted to ask if you would consider supporting the show with a one-time donation of $1 to $3. The funds go to subscription fees, equipment upkeep, and a general sense of well-being. Links in the show notes. And again, thanks for listening. Okay, on with the show. Chapter 15 Just go. You've got the keys. Drive. You've got to do what you have to. Tommy will understand. But one look at her son, and she knew in an instant that he wouldn't. He wouldn't understand, and he wouldn't get over it. There was even a chance that he wouldn't forgive her. As if reading her mind, Tommy mouthed the words, No, Mom. Beverly released her white-knuckle grip on the keys. The tension in her body relaxed. Jacob walked, shadowing the horde as it moved through the center of town. This was not his kind of work. It wasn't practical. Wasn't efficient. It wasn't safe. From his vantage points above the horde he could see them. Through the scope, differentiate the mass from those he felt a debt. He knew he had to get ahead of them, but going around them wasn't the way to do it. It would take too long. The deer urine would mask his scent, make him appear as something besides a meal. But it didn't mean he could stroll along with them like it was a Thanksgiving Day parade. He knew Tommy's dad was in the rear, and he hoped that in the bottleneck that was the town, he had remained so. Still, he wouldn't know until he was practically among them. He crouched behind a dumpster in the back of Bubba's big chicken diner. The deer urine mixed with the smell of garbage, and he felt confident that for the moment he was undetectable. Once inside the town limits, and with the rear of the horde in sight, he had cut down a side street, looking for a place to watch them. He glanced down the alley, through the gap between the walls of two buildings, he watched as the horde shuffled by. Where he was now was not a place to take his target. Once he located it, he could anticipate where his best chance might be. To do that, he knew he had to get higher. Springing from the dumpster, he crept to an access ladder, fastened to the wall across and down from the dumpster. The horde was close. If they noticed him, and if even just a few funneled down the alley, many more would sense it. He would be surrounded and cut off. The shuffling and moaning of the horde gave him some cover, but he wasn't taking any chances. He tucked the Ruger into his jacket and began to climb. He moved to the edge of the building and looked over at the horde below. Red shirt, cargo pants. As the horde continued to move past, he saw him. He tracked his gait, trying to determine where his path would take him. What building might he stray close to? In what darkened recess could he seize what was once Mark Sanders? The thing that was Mark Sanders shuffled slow, loping gradually to the left. 
Jacob tracked him and then looked across the street and three blocks up. A flower shop, dark and empty, sat facing the street. A large gaping hole was in the front of the building where plate glass would have been. The glass lay shattered on the sidewalk in front. Jacob knew he would have one chance and he would have to be fast. He eased his way from the ledge and back down the ladder. Sitting in the shadows of a demolished vacuum cleaner repair shop, he waited, staring out the open door. The flower shop was directly across from him. The muscles in his legs were taut like a spring, and he was ready to pounce. He had wanted to cross the street, to wait for Tommy's father in the shadows on the other side. His confidence failed him on two fronts. The first, that Tommy's father would stray close enough for him to simply reach out and grab and the second, that he would be able to cross the flowing current of the horde undetected. Should they sense him crossing, he would not stand a chance. So he waited. He kept his face shield down. While it did much to block out the sound of the dead, it did little to mitigate the smell. Theirs or his. The decay mixed with the scent of deer urine threatened to roll his stomach, but he held on. He had done two things to prepare. In front of him was a vacuum cleaner lying on its side, wheels pointed towards the street. Propped up against the wall to his left was a piece of glass. He had wiped it clean enough to dimly reflect the store behind him. To let something sneak up on him was to die of foolishness, and he was not going to be foolish. The moments ticked by until the thing that was Tommy Sanders' father stumbled into view. Jacob uncoiled the length of rope from his shoulder and gripped the handles in each hand. He moved those hands down to the vacuum cleaner, shoving it in one smooth motion out into the path of Tommy's father. The vacuum went unheeded and the shuffler tripped and fell to the ground. Those around it gave no notice as they dragged themselves past their fallen comrade. Their raspy wheezing and groaning, not lifting an octave in alert. Jacob strengthened the grip on the rope's wooden handles. As the shuffler began to push itself up and rise, Jacob Miller leapt from the shadows and ran into the street. As he ran toward the shuffler, he dropped the wooden handles to waist level. Not slowing his pace, he caught the shuffler's neck with the rope, crossed his arms, and pulled tight. The slack went out and the rope tightened around the thing's neck. Jacob's velocity slowed under the new weight as he dragged the thing from the street. When he got to the flower shop, he dived into the shadows through the ruined display window, dragging the shuffler with him. The two crashed to the floor, and Jacob lay still, using every ounce of his strength to keep the rope tight around the thing's neck. The shuffler did not try to pull the rope free, did not suffer the asphyxiating effects of Jacob's garrote. It struggled all the same, sensing that what held it fast could be eaten. Beneath his helmet, beads of perspiration ran down Jacob's face and into his eyes. The strain in his arms began to burn as he kept the tension on the rope. He had to wait, wait for seconds, wait for them to stretch into minutes as the horde passed by in the street. He doubted he could wait for them all to go, but every one that passed was one less that might be alerted, one less that might alert the others. With his head up, Jacob lay on his back and stared through his face shield to the display area of the flower shop. 
Gradually the horde thinned until they passed by in widely spaced singles. He moved his left hand down the rope, where the ends crossed at the base of the shuffler's head. He held the rope tight and reached into his jacket for the Ruger. He placed the silence pistol to the side of the shuffler's skull. It struggled, hissed, tried to twist around. With gnashing teeth, it tried to satisfy its hunger, its eyes rolling around in its gory head. Jacob hesitated. It was not a thing he was dispatching. This had been a man, a father, a fellow officer of the law. In his own dealings, he looked into their faces, remembered them, and then liberated them. Jacob brought his feet up and loosened his grip. Withdrawing the rope, Jacob kicked away the thing that was Officer Mark Sanders. Jacob rolled backwards to a standing position and readied his pistol. Across from him, the thing that was Tommy's father fell back, then tried to stand. Jacob waited for it to gain its feet. When it did, it looked around, then settled its hungry gaze on Jacob. Jacob raised his face shield and looked at the thing in the face. The two locked eyes, and there was a pause. For the space of a second, Jacob saw Officer Mark Sanders standing before him, as he was. Then the image was gone, and the shuffler charged him. When the distance between them was cut to half, Jacob fired. Two whispers of the Ruger put the shuffler down. Mark Sanders was free. Chapter 16 Beverly raised the binoculars and checked the tracks into Centerville. She was obsessing, and she knew it, but everything hinged on seeing Jacob Miller walking back down those tracks towards them. It had been hours, and now dark was threatening. How long did she wait? How long before it was obvious he wasn't coming back? How long before leaving was the only choice they had left? These questions plagued her mind, but each time she moved herself to answer, she looked at Tommy. He was unmoved. When Jacob had left, Tommy had gone to the Cherokee. He sat on the hood and stared down those same tracks. It didn't matter what might be obvious to her. Until it was settled in his mind, they would stay. She felt deep within herself that to try and make him leave before he was ready would tear a rift between them that might never close. And so she lowered the binoculars and took a seat on the hood of the Cherokee next to her son. Jacob sat in the back corner of the ruined flower shop and waited. Outside in the street, the last of the horde passed in twos and threes. Even if he could make it out and back to Beverly and Tommy with the light fading and the darkness coming on fast, he couldn't risk an encounter with the dead. So he sat with his back to the wall and stared through the helmet's visor out into the street as they passed. He did something he hadn't done in a long time. He prayed he wouldn't see someone he once knew in their ruined faces. Tommy had wanted to, but he just couldn't. Finally, Beverly had given him a reprieve, promising that at the first sign of Jacob's return, she would wake him. He lay on the hood of the Cherokee with his head in her lap. Beverly fought sleep herself, resolved to not fail her son, promising to be ready when the time came. It had not been easy staying awake, but it wasn't the lack of sleep that troubled her most. Her thoughts swirled around in her mind, 
nipped and bit at her like a pack of wolves, testing the weakness of their prey. She thought of Gary and the substation, and his loss drew first blood. She thought of the journey she, Mark, and Tommy had undertaken to try to get to Colorado. When her thoughts fell to Mark, alone in the tunnel, fighting for their lives so that they could flee, the hungry wolf that was her misery delivered a mortal wound. Now here she was, waiting for an outcome she knew was certain. Another would fall, so that she could continue to have a chance at life. How many, and how high a cost would have to be paid before she got to a place that offered a chance? She bit down hard and fought her emotions, vowing that her son would not be the next to sacrifice himself for her. Regardless of what lie ahead of them, her son would live, would have a future. She reached down and stroked his hair, brushing it from his face. Not wanting to wake him, she clutched the binoculars and scanned the tracks to Centerville. There was movement, and Beverly blinked. She took a breath and felt the fear rise in her throat. There was a second of time that stretched into what felt like hours before she gasped in relief. Without wanting them to come, tears burst from her eyes as she lowered the binoculars and woke her son. Tommy, wake up! Jacob, he's back! Tommy jumped from the hood of the Cherokee and ran to the edge of the rails and stared down the tracks. He watched as Jacob Miller walked toward them. In his hands, he carried a cardboard box. He turned back to her, his eyes full of hope and sadness. She slid off the hood and stood next to her son as Jacob made his way towards them. When he was close, he stopped and looked down at Tommy. Tommy could not meet his gaze. His head hung low, and he stared at his feet. Beverly knew he was trying to be a man, but didn't yet know how to forget being a boy. Jacob raised the visor on his helmet and looked at her son with kinder eyes than she thought him capable. Slowly, he offered Tommy the box. When you're ready, Jacob said. Tommy raised his head and looked at the plain cardboard box in Jacob's unwavering hands before reaching out and taking it from him. When you're ready, Jacob said again. Jacob turned to Beverly and with no animosity in his voice asked for his keys back. She handed the keys to him and Jacob walked to the Cherokee, took off his helmet and climbed behind the wheel. Beverly put her arm around Tommy and together they got in. For several hours he sat beside his mother and stared at the box in his lap. Another hour and another sixty-mile markers passed before he reached up with both hands and pried open the flaps. Beverly looked over, desperate to see, but not wanting to intrude. Inside was a case of cranberry cider-scented spray. She looked in surprise from the case of cans to Jacob. Jacob did not take his eyes from the road. As Beverly looked back at her son, Tommy pulled an item from the box wrapped in paper. He slowly peeled away the wrapping to reveal a policeman's badge, the number 1701 across the bottom. With tear-filled eyes, Tommy looked to his mother. She moved to hold her son, but then resisted. It's Dad's, he said. Tommy caressed the numbers, then looked to his mother. "'Will you put it on me, Mom?' he said. Tears clouded her eyes 
as she clipped the badge to the front of Tommy's shirt. Tommy stared at it for several seconds, then looked again into the box. Inside was a black pen and the sheet from Jacob's ledger. Tommy reached in and took out the pen. Resting the paper on the box, he drew a single line through the only name on the page. Officer Mark Sanders, my dad. Beverly glanced up. In the front seat, Jacob looked in the rearview mirror and watched Tommy. Beside her, Tommy gingerly folded the paper and clipped the pen to it, holding the fold securely. Do you want me to keep that safe for you, Tommy? Beverly said. Tommy nodded and reverently passed the paper to her. As another mile marker flew by, Tommy stared out his window as they took the exit for the westbound lanes of the I-70. Chapter 17 Jacob drove out of the darkness and into the light. He wasn't prepared for what he saw. He had driven all night, and now the morning sun rose behind him. In the rear of the Cherokee, Beverly and Tommy lay sleeping. He eased his foot on the brakes, and the Cherokee came to a rolling stop. Gripping the steering wheel tight, he stared down the road ahead, the idle of the jeep's engine, the only sound. The absence of the rhythm of the road brought Beverly awake. He watched her look around. She saw him staring out the windshield. What's the matter? she said, apprehension now bringing her fully awake. We're here, he said, not turning around. Beverly caught his meaning. She leaned forward and looked down the road. In the distance was activity, human activity, movement that seemed purposeful and alive. There were booths set up that looked like they contained fresh produce. The vibrant colors of fresh fruits and vegetables beamed at them, even from this distance. There was a table set up under a canopy, and someone sitting at it. And there were people, maybe a dozen or more. Some were helping set things up. Others talked amongst themselves. Two figures stood near the table, and one of them threw their head back in laughter. They all went about armed, but carried their weapons as almost an afterthought. In the Cherokee, Beverly took in a gasp, and her hand went to her mouth. She turned to her son and began to gently shake him awake. Tommy, wake up. We're here, she said. Tommy rubbed his eyes, then sat up. He clung to the bars on the back seat and looked where his mother pointed. As the surprise sank in, Jacob felt her eyes upon him. He remained motionless, staring straight ahead. "'What's the matter, Jacob? What are we waiting for?' she said. He did not respond right away. Not knowing how, he took the direct approach. "'I can't go any further. I... I have to get back,' he said. He looked at her in the rearview mirror, saw her nod, then turned to her son. "'Come on, Tommy. We're going.' she said. He watched as they climbed over the seat. Beverly popped up the back window, lowered the tailgate, and climbed out. Tommy grabbed his box and followed. Closing the tailgate, they made their way to the front of the jeep. Beverly stopped and looked at him. Thank you, she said. Jacob looked at her, 
Then he nodded. Beverly shifted nervously, then fixed her eyes on the people in the distance. You told my son to open the box when he was ready. When you're ready, Jacob, this place will be here, she said. Jacob heard the words, knew he wasn't ready. Not yet. He watched through the windshield as Beverly took her son's hand and walked down the road. After a couple of steps, Tommy looked back at Jacob and up at his mom. Tommy took a few more steps with his mother before he pulled his hand from hers and stopped. Beverly stopped too then and looked at her son. Tommy looked back at him for a moment, then turned and walked back to the jeep. The boy locked eyes with him. Thank you for freeing my dad, Sheriff Miller, Tommy said. Holding his box under his left arm, he stuck out his right hand. Jacob looked at Tommy's hand, still so small, then reached his own out and shook it. A second more, then Tommy ran back to his mother, took her hand, and the two proceeded down the highway. Ruby sat at the welcome table, clipboard and paper in front of her. The cool morning air wafted through, and she felt its invigorating caress. She looked at the faces around her, recognizing Sam, Billy, and Waltz. She saw other faces, newcomers whose faces were not yet so familiar, but knew they would be in time. She looked over at the produce stands where Walt busied himself, making sure the fruits and vegetables were arranged just so. That's some good-looking squash you got there, hippie, she said. Walt's head popped up, and he beamed a smile at her. Thanks, Mama. Nature's bounty, you know, he said back. Ruby turned back and double-checked that everything was in order. Looking up, she saw two figures walking down the road towards them. Ruby smiled. People were coming in a few at a time, almost every day now. They were getting the message and seeking out the hope it promised. People coming, she said, and all eyes turned to look down the highway. Beverly fought back her emotion as she held Tommy's hand tight. She saw an elderly woman, the one sitting behind the table, waving at her. A red GTO emerged from the tunnel and parked next to a bus. A young woman got out. Beverly watched as a young man called to her. Nicole, we've got survivors, he said. Coming, Sam, she said back. Tommy looked up at his mom. That's the lady from the broadcast, he said in a whisper, awe in his voice. That's right, baby, that's Nicole, she said, wiping away the tears as Sam and Nicole approached them at a jog. The four met in the road. There was an awkward moment as she and Tommy stared at Sam and Nicole. She watched Nicole look over her shoulder at the Jeep Cherokee in the distance, shielding her eyes against the rising sun, saw her wave. Beverly and Tommy turned, and the four of them watched, waiting for some acknowledgement. The Jeep sat motionless in the road for several seconds, the throaty warble of the engine, a distant sound. Then the jeep turned and drove back the way it had come. They're leaving? Nicole said. Beverly and Tommy turned to Nicole. His name is Jacob. He's got some things to take care of, Beverly said. Nicole looked back at Beverly and Tommy and then nodded. 
The awkwardness again passed between them. A few seconds more, and then Nicole stuck out her hand. I'm Nicole Bennett. This is Sam. Welcome. Welcome. 